This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. Daphne, you still like in cardiology? On a Likert scale yes. of zero to ten, <laughs> zero being the worst. <laughs> what is your what is your thing? <laughs> no, I think it's going. I think I'm like at a seven. I have to say, yeah, Very good. at a seven. <laughs> well, today's going to be a little bit different. Um, I think people are like, "Well, we've been doing cardiology for a week and a half. When are we going to get to the congenital heart defects?" So today we're going to kind of set the stage for um, a little bit of information about um, CHD overall and so what you're telling people is that we're still not starting we're just we gonna, still aren't starting gonna, today but because it was really when I heard Dr. Brodsky's um, lecture on congenital heart disease that I was like yeah that makes sense she uh, kind of puts the congenital heart diseases into their shared categories and that a lot of the things about them that are shared, like their presentations and sometimes their managements, make sense because they they have the same type of problem. So I, I so I'm embarrassed to say that that never occurred to me before um, going to the board review course. And so um, that's really how they've laid out the book in this section. So we're kind of gonna just set the stage so that when you start with transposition of the great arteries in the cyanotic heart disease section, we know what we're doing. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the overall incidence of congenital heart disease is eight in 1000 live births uh, with two in 1000 presenting less than one year of age. So I think this is important. Um, we assume that most all the congenital heart diseases are, uh, you know, picked up in the neonatal period, and that's just not true. Um, so many of them um, present later. Um, so many are present in the first few days of life. So very um, important to our clinical management. Twenty-five percent of infants with congenital heart disease also have additional non-cardiac anomalies. So that means that most of them don't. Uh, but even kids without an associated syndrome with congenital heart disease are still at additional risk for other anomalies. So we should be looking for those things, um, at least on our physical exams, to make sure um, that we are identifying some of these non-cardiac anomalies. Um, and there's an increased risk of right aortic arch. So to that point, if you see a right aortic arch, you should go looking for um, congenital heart disease. What is the recurrence risk? So I think this is a high yield topic, um, which means if you had one, you know, if you have family history of congenital heart disease, what does that look, what is the risk um, to another child? So there's a two to 5% risk of recurrence of congenital heart disease if, if there's one previous child with congenital heart disease. If you have two previous children with congenital heart disease, the recurrence risk increases to five to 10%. 
We also see some of this um, in the parental history. This is like the pyloric stenosis question. Um, but if a mother had congenital heart disease, the risk of a child with congenital heart disease is about 7%. This ranges from 2 to 18%. Um, so, you know, knowing the parental history is important. Sometimes we hear from OB that mom has a history of heart, you know, some anatomical heart disease. And we're like, yeah, yeah, but what about the baby? But, um, you know, let's, we're saying 7 to 10% um, of, of children born to mothers with congenital heart disease are, are at risk for congenital heart disease. Now, if the father had congenital heart disease, um, the risk is less, but it's still increased as compared to the general population. It's 1.5 to 3%. And the most inheritable cardiac defects are the left-sided obstructive lesions. Um, and we'll get to them, uh, that group, shortly, but these are um, the category of coarctation of the aorta and aortic stenosis. Yeah, that's that's the critical part because then you could get into this data of saying like, well, if she had a PFO, if the mother had a PFO, does that mean that that's the risk right. of the baby have, like it's tricky, but I, th I think that puts it into context. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of the incidences of the specific uh, defects, um, there's this nice long table um, in the, in the, Brodsky Martin review book that go from highest to lowest. Um, and I actually think this is a value both clinically and for the test. So the top of the list for sure, the ventricular septal defect um, is the most common congenital heart defect. This is seen in 16% of congenital heart disease patients. Um, next, the pulmonary stenosis with intact ventricular septum, uh, let's say is about 10%. Tetralogy of flow. Um, and the ASD are slightly less between, you know, six to 10%. The transposition so, of the greater, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, that's always a tricky way to ask you a question, which is, mm -hmm. which one is the most common congenital mm -hmm. heart disease, right? The co most congenital heart defect you said is the VSD. But when you're asking which one is the most common cyanotic mm. congenital heart defect, um, it's very tricky because when you're looking at pediatric patients beyond infancy, that's tetralogy. And that's if right. you're looking like very early on, that's transposition of the great arteries. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. be very careful about like what I, what I'm, the, I guess the reason I'm saying this is because in my head, most common is only one thing. It's like the most common is this, right? But in this mm -hmm. case, it's like most common what? Because they, they could trick you and say, what's the most common congenital? What's the most con common cyanotic congenital heart disease? what's the most common congenital cyanotic in that time period. So be mindful of these numbers because easy to be testing you on that. Yeah, and I think both for a clinical vignette on the test and in real life, um, this mm -hmm. is important, right? Um, you know, because you're like, you're right. Say I had this cyanotic infant, you know, what is most likely to present that is both cyanotic and likely to present right now in the neonatal period. That's uh, TGA. That would be then. Yeah, that would be for sure. TGA then. For sure. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about all congenital heart disease, the most common is the VSD. Um, so the PDA, right? We talk about PDA uh, nonstop, <laughs> but it's actually 4 to 10% in the full-term infant. Um, we do obviously see higher occurrence of the PDA in the premature infant. 
Um, the coarctation of uh, aorta is about as common as the TGA and the ASD, 5-8%. And then when we get to the, AVO, uh, the atrioventricular or the AV septal defects, um, they're 2-5%. to 5%. Total anomalous pulmonary uh, venous return is not common, 1-2.5%. to 2.5%. Uh, It's about as common as truncus arteriosus. Um, both of which are also part of the cyanotic heart disease group. Um, they're in the kind of uh, one to one to three, one to four percent. And then another pathology that we hear a lot about um, is hypoplastic left heart syndrome, um, and it is one point five percent of all congenital heart disease. But it is the second most common cyanotic heart disease presenting in the first week after birth. We said that the transposition of the great arteries is the most common cyanotic heart disease presenting in the first week after birth. Hypoplastic left heart is second most common cyanotic heart disease presenting in the first week after birth. It is the most common cause of mortality in the first week after birth. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that hypoplastic left heart syndrome is actually famous for in terms mm-hmm. of mortality, long-term outcomes, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, and they like they like that. You, you should know these things, um, especially because I think it affects, it doesn't affect your management clinically because you, you call cardiology and they tell you. <laughs> what to do. Uh, but in uh, how you cancel families, I think is critical, especially prenatal consults and so on. So we'll get to that. Absolutely. We'll have a whole section on each of these. Yeah. But, um, do you want to so look at your phone? T- what's, what's, the, what's happening over there? Nothing. I do have a phone call coming in. You can hear it? <laughs> yes, of course. I can hardly hear. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's urgent. I mean, it's no, buzzing. And... It's not urgent. Oh, cool. You're, you're saying I'm making a bunch of noise. Politely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, the, the last section of, of today is really talking about these bunches, these groups. And that's going to set the stage for kind of the rest of our discussion on congenital heart disease. So let's talk about the cyanotic heart diseases, the five T's. And now that's what we learned in med school, the five T's. And now they are adding uh, do or do and ESP, which I'll tell you. (laughs) I'm shaking my head, people. You don't like it. To me, the cyanotic is the five T's and that's it. That's right. That's what they're doing to us here. I like to remember the five T's in this manner. Truncus arteriosus is one because they are one shared. Yeah, like a trunk. Out, trunk, right? So one shared trunk, truncus arteriosus, that's one. Two, transposition of the great arteries because they're two vessels that are We get swapped. it. Don't, don't spend too much time. We get it. <laughs> Tricuspid atresia is three. Tri- Tetralogy of Fallot is four. obviously four. And then total anomalous pulmonary venous return, five words, number five for your fifth congenital heart disease. That's actually, you know what? Cyanotic it's, congenital heart disease. It's... Um... It's interesting because I've not had trouble memorizing them, but you always find yourself saying like, which one am I What's missing? The last which one, one did yeah. I say? Which <laughs> it's exactly right. But that's, I think that's super helpful to make sure that uh, you're actually You've going got through. got the biggies. Yeah. All right. So tell us but about these do's and ESPs right. now. So they have included in cyanotic heart disease, because these babies also present with cyanosis, the double outlet right ventricle or DOVR, the Epstein's anomaly, um, single oh. ventricle pulmonary atresia. That's the ESP. Epstein's anomaly, single ventricle p- 
pulmonary atresia can all present with cyanosis. In addition to the double outlet right ventricle and the five T's, which we learned in med school. Fine. <laughs> no okay. arguing. I wish I could There's argue. There's no arguing. No. They, that is correct. They are, they do fit in that category. Then you have this category of left to right shunts, ventricular septal defects, patent ductus arteriosus, the atrial septal defects, the complete atrioventricular canal, which obviously when you really hammer it down is a left to right shunt, but it, it took me some time to get there, I'm not gonna lie. Mm. And then the partial anomalous pulmonary venous return, all left to right shunts. Yeah, and, and you're, you're basing that, right? I, I think that's important to mention. Left to right shunting, assuming all the pressures every, everywhere else are okay, because we just said sure. yesterday that like, if pulmonary you have pulmonary hypertension, hypertension. Yeah, yeah, your shunt with a PDA might be reversed. So fine, that goes without saying, but important to quantify that, I guess. Yeah. Um, and your presence of these shunts may change, like we said, your clinical appearance of the mm -hmm. pulmonary hypertension. Mm -hmm. Then you have the left-sided obstructive lesion. So that's your coarctation of the aorta and aortic stenosis. So the outflow tracks um, to the systemic uh, circulation. Your right-sided obstructive lesion, they, just, they have listed pulmonary stenosis. That's when you have to remember, right-sided obstructive lesion. Of course, there's a variety of valvul valvular disease other than the aortic stenosis, um, but you can have aortic mitral and tricuspid, tricuspid regurgitation. And then in other, I quote unquote, other lesions, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, pulmonary hypertension, which we've spoken about, and a number of cardiomyopathies. So that sets the stage for the rest of Sure. Yep. 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 Question? Okay. No questions today? No, come on. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to ask me a question? Yeah. We yep. want to get to the good stuff here. I know. I'm going for a question now that I, uh, it's partly because I kind of, I kind of like the question part of our, of our episode. And also because sure. I am, I'm kind of lazy. And now that I said question and you were not ready for yeah, a question. You don't want to have to edit this. So you, now you're, now, <laughs> now you're asking me a question. <laughs> so now I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Um, okay. I'm going to find, uh, okay. Uh, um, <laughs> I, no joke. I opened the book, question 33, the most common congenital heart lesion is... Stop it. I'm not joking. <laughs> C? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not C, it's E. But <laughs> It's uh, the BSD. That's right. Um, okay. Um, let me see, let me see, let me see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a question that actually makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, people. See, I my job is very hard. No, you thought I, you could, you thought you could do my job, and no, there no. you go. By the way, I've been I've been like sort of riding this way where I'm like I don't I'm very happy that you're taking on the question drafting. Uh, okay, um, okay, so this is I'm I'm getting further and further away. All right, I think I have I'm gonna have a question very soon. Oh my god. Okay, let's talk about this. All right, I don't know what this will will. Uh... Do you want me to ask you a question? Maybe, maybe okay i'm gonna ask you cardiology question seven this is a good this is an easy question for you okay go man i'm so bad <laughs> a male infant born at term gestational age has an echocardiogram at 24 hours of life the echocardiogram we don't know why but the echocardiogram reveals a patent ductus arteriosus with an otherwise normally structured heart 
When does functional closure of the PDA occur in most full-term infants? A, at the time of birth, B, by 48 hours of life, C, at one week of age, D, between two to four weeks of age, or E, at 40 weeks post-menstrual age? 48 hours of life? Oh, that C was so easy for you. There you go. <laughs> That's correct. By 48 hours of life. Closure of the PDA results from, and I think this is what's so wonderful about the study of PDA. It's such an interesting thing. <laughs> but closure of the PDA results from an increased PaO2 concentrations with increased mediators of ductal constriction, the prostaglandin F2 alpha, acetylcholine, bradykinin, and oxygen, and decreased mediators of ductal dilation, prostaglandin E1, prostaglandin E2, hypoxia, and acidosis. And functional closure occurs in most full-term infants by 48 hours of age. In contrast, the premature infant may not have functional closure until days to weeks of age. An anatomical closure is usually complete at approximately two to four weeks of age. Before mm -hmm. that time, the ductus arteriosus can reopen. I think this is really important. So the functional closure means that like there's not enough blood flow going through the PDA. So we, we may not even see the flow on echo, but the actual anatomic, the kind of histopathologic closure um, is is quite late. So sometimes we have these babies who we think, oh, the PDA is closed, and then they get sick and they whoop, pop right open. Mm -hmm. um, following anatomic closure, the ductus arteriosus becomes fibrotic and then is known as the ligamentum arteriosum. Okay. Thank you for bailing me out on this one. Mm -hmm. Bye. See you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.